Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. We are bringing uplifting conversation and faithful Catholic teaching to everyone who can hear us. We're listener supported and you can help us by going to www.veritascatholic.com. Today, Bishop Frank will take a look at the troubling events around us these days and what we can do to work for a better society. Part of that is growing authentic joy within ourselves. So he'll tell us how we can do that as well. A big thanks to our weekly sponsor, the Knights of Columbus Museum. Please visit the museum online at kofcmuseum.org and check out its weekly webinars. These programs are free, enjoyable, and educational. Again, kofcmuseum.org. Hey all, I'm Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network, and I am so happy to introduce His Excellency, Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, as always, it's tremendous to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Excellency. So, yeah, we, we've discussed several times just how crazy these days have been. You know, we've uh, had, we have the COVID-19 pandemic, which led to more than three months of isolation and quarantine, which provoked massive unemployment and hardship for millions. And then we had these three horrific deaths of black Americans, which sparked protests and riots throughout the country. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm going mm-hmm. to quote a recent homily of yours, Excellency, and you said, the time has come for real action, real repentance, real conversion, real commitment to affect justice, equality, charity, understanding, dialogue, respect, and peacemaking. So I'd like to ask you, Excellency, what is the church's role here and how can the church help take leadership to get these things done? Right, right. It's a great question. And um, it's an answer which uh, may make us, all of us, a bit uncomfortable because it will strike very much at home. Let me just begin by saying this. The church has always faced crises and challenges, whether internally or externally, from its founding. From the original persecutions against the church to the great societal shifts the church had to meander, to periods of lack of fidelity among its leadership in the Middle Ages, and to the great societal changes that have occurred over the last few centuries. And the church has always been equipped to respond when it is faithful to the truth and lives integrity of life. And what I mean by the church, I mean its members. This is where it gets uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So the pandemic and now the societal outrage to the murder of these African-American men they're very different challenges, right? The COVID-19 challenge is really uh, due to an aberration, aberration in nature. This virus crossed from, it is supposed from the animal world into the human world. And it's caused tremendous havoc for everything you've spoken about. And therefore, God has given us the ability to reason and to do scientific research to put it in service of trying to find a vaccine for this. That is a noble good that we are not all capable of doing. I certainly have no idea how to do that. 
Right. But those who are capable are now being tasked. And to the extent that they do it generously and selflessly, if they're members of the church or members of larger society, that is a noble enterprise now. But the issue about economic dislocation and the whole question of systemic racism and bigotry are all many ways somewhat interrelated because it reveals a society whose structures are all those things I mentioned in my homily in the negative. Structures that are not fair, that do not provide equal opportunity, that do not unite, but rather discriminate and create social circles where there is influence that allows some to get ahead and others to be left behind. Where wealth need not be distributed equally, but enough wealth be in the hands of everyone so everyone can live a dignified, safe, and respectful life. We have structures in society that have been created that do not allow that to happen. No differently than we have structures in society that judge people by the color of their skin or the language they speak or the language their parents speak or their place of origin, right? Or the place where they may live geographically that, that allows them not the same opportunities as others. Gives them true disadvantage or at its worst, puts them into harm's way and peril as we have seen in the incidents of these three men whose lives were taken away because they were murdered. No other way to describe it, they were murdered and we saw it with our own eyes. So this is my question, my friend. Who created those structures? Who in the end allows those structures to continue? We could blame society, but society is nameless. Society is made up of individuals so how does it strike home? I have always held, I continue to hold, that the structures we create individually, either in a very active way, if we're in leadership, or in other ways by which we become complicit. We create them because they reflect the values of our hearts. They reflect our spiritual values or lack thereof. They, re they reflect the worldview we have towards our fellow man and woman and towards the goods of the earth and towards our God. And therefore, the first step in any societal change is the conversion of my own heart. Before I worry about anybody else's heart or society, what about me? What about I looking in the mirror? and say, do I consider everyone equal? Do I have racist tendencies or bigotry tendencies or discriminatory tendencies in the way I speak, the way I act, the people I deal with, how I spend my money, all the rest of it? I mean, am I willing to look myself in the mirror and say, what do I believe in the end? And how do I live? Forget what I believe too, because I could convince myself I believe anything. How do I live? Let me look at my life. And say to myself, do I actually live what I claim to believe when it comes to justice and equality and fairness? Because if I don't, then I'm contributing to the problem. I am, in fact, part of the problem. And I want society to change. But how am I going to have society change unless I change? So I think as people of faith, the church must bring people to that level of basic reflection. 
Because let me tell you something. Racial equality and equal opportunity is not just something society wants because it's a human good. It is a divine mandate. It's what the Savior taught us. And if we're going to claim him as our Lord and Savior and have the same title he had, being a Christian following Christ the Lord, then don't you think that it's our own faith that should motivate us to change? And if it does not change us, then our faith is not what we're claiming it to be. That's a really hard message to start with, isn't it? And that's a message in the church itself that we have to challenge each other first, first and foremost. Right. Yeah. If we only love those people who love us, then don't the tax collectors and the pagans do the same? Right. Right. Exactly. So Ephesians 4, I often refer back to it. I think it's one of the, one of the most provocative lines in sacred scripture where St. Paul says we ought to live the truth. Right? Teach the truth in love. Those are the two antidotes to all of that turmoil that we are experiencing. The truth comes from what Lord taught us and how we ought to live. Remember, the ancient church divided all its property, right, among believers. All right, to be able to live with a heart that's pure, the one that seeks the good in all people, and to do it in love, which means that we hold people accountable to their decisions, right? The means yes. never justify the ends. We mm -hmm. live a life of integrity, even mm -hmm. if it means we're persecuted for what we believe, which we have in the church from the beginning. And by our authenticity and by our witness, then we will invite others to change who may not even share our faith. Yeah. So who's the leaven for change in the United States? I think it's the believers in our country of all different faiths. If they actually live their faith, right. it would be a huge step forward. Yeah. So you, know, you, you said recently also uh, that this needs to be done. You said one choice at a time, one person at a time, mm -hmm. one day at a time. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're mm -hmm. telling us as individuals, so Steve Lee, me, I need to uh, see what um, concrete steps, what changes I can make in my life, in my little circle of the people around me, because that's where it starts. Correct. For example, Steve Lee, Frank Heggiano, in a conversation, and someone makes, forgive me for being frank, blunt, a stupid comment. Mm -hmm. more than a stupid comment, an offensive comment. Who is going to, are you or I gonna stop and say, excuse me, but that is offensive. Don't ever say it again in my presence. Right. How many times has that happened to you in your circle of friends? How many times have you seen that actually happen? Just the way I described. Yeah, it's really difficult. Not often. Mm -hmm. Exactly, because what's on the line? That person may say, well, go take a hike. I'm done with you, and they mm -hmm. walk away. Now, one could say, well, you don't have to be that blunt. You don't have to be that embarrassing. If you want to be able to bring that person to conversion, you could do it in a private venue. And I would say to that, absolutely. But how many times do we say, I'm going to make mention of that and then never do? Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to pull that person aside and explain why I object to that and never do. Right. So you see complicity then. 
right? You don't respond at the moment because you want to be merciful, but then you violate the truth by never addressing it. Yeah. So the bottom line is the comment was made, the snide remark was made or worse, and it does not go challenged. That's a betrayal. Yeah. Hmm? It's easy to watch the videos and say, well, if I was there, I would step up and I would have done something. We, but we, the truth is we face those situations in a different way every day, all the time in our circles. Right. And the anger that this has now generated has to be channeled to two things, in my opinion. First, personal examination of conscience, reflection, and a personal plan of action, whatever that may be. And a moment of reckoning for society that says, collectively, enough of us believe X, Y, and Z that has allowed these structures to remain unchanged, and they need to change. Yeah. But the other thing I want to alert people to is we should not paint everyone with the same brush. Okay. Right. So the anger towards the police and how some police have conducted themselves is more than justified. It is a leaven for change. But to consider all police as racists or as bigots is simply untrue. Yes. And I know of many decent police women and men who try their best to live and live correctly and to be just in how they deal with people and they should not be thrown under the bus yes. in a moment of anger because that's anger that does not in the end allow for real, substantial, enduring, societal change and conversion. Right. And why I'm sensitive to that is because at the height of the abuse crisis, many people were doing the exact same thing to all priests. Yes. So you are all pedophiles, you are all abusers, you are all looking askance at these young people, right? And that was fundamentally unjust, even though there were some who did it and deserved to be punished, and those who enabled them should be punished, and those who kept silent should be punished, but not all were guilty. And social media was filled with that. Yeah. So it's the same thing here. The guilty should be brought to justice, but those who are not guilty and are trying their best should also be affirmed right. in what they're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There needs to be honesty on all sides of the dialogue. You know, the, I saw the USCCB statement that they released. Uh, they said, too many communities around this country feel that their voices are not being heard. So there needs to be dialogue among people from different cultures, neighborhoods, backgrounds, including the police. Um, it seems like, Excellency, though, there, there, there are many genuine voices trying to affect change. In, in some cases, it, it seems like they're being drowned out by um, a minority of folks with an agenda. They want to fuel division and hate. Yeah, and you see some of that. For example, um, there is a, a growing sense that much of the violence that occurred in these protests was orchestrated by a very small group of individuals who right. used the occasion for an agenda other than what the protesters were actually justifiably protesting over. 
right? They tried to usurp the agenda, mm-hmm. and that's fundamentally unjust. Besides breaking the law and doing harm, which no one should do, right? Because the the means never justify the ends, right? It's fundamental moral principle. But nonetheless, they tried to, and that is fundamentally something that people who are reasonable and those of faith should fight against, right? Keep the focus on the questions of the truth in the matter at hand. Yes. And once we identify what the causes are and what the problem may be, then we need to address them. So like, for example, from, I think from a personal point of view, depending on where we are in the structure of society, there is a certain expectation of duties and responsibilities that comes from that. So if you are a person who is a teacher, then there is an overlay beyond the personal examination we need to do that you have to ask yourself, well then how do I bring this into the classroom in an appropriate way to help young people understand what the issues are, what the values and principles behind those issues and how to address them. Because we have to give our young people hope that society can be made better Right. We have basically wrecked it in so many different ways, to your point. And we've militarized social media like we've spoken about before so that people can say whatever they want and it goes uncorrected and it goes uh, unresolved and people's reputations are destroyed and, and we tear people down simply for what they say without having a dialogue to engage them in why they say what they say and what's the, the, the truths behind what they're saying. We've created that structure it didn't fall out of the sky. Yeah. So who's comfortable with it? And if we say we're not comfortable, then what in the, in the name of goodness are we going to do to change it? <laughs> right. Yeah. I've seen a lot of, um, it looks like a lot of parents are having uh, important discussions with their kids of all ages, you know, age appropriate, I'm sure. Um, because in, in a lot of... Um, a lot of areas of the country and, and large parts of Fairfield County, you know, my kids, for example, they're so isolated from um, the troubles that are happening in, in other sections of the country that, uh, you know, my younger ones were like, wait, wait, this happens? This is a problem in the mm-hmm. U.S.? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. an opportunity. Right. Right. And, you know, I go back to my New York roots and there is a great gift when urban life is lived well. And that's not to disparage the suburbs Mm -hmm. because suburban life lived well can achieve the same goals in different ways. But when you look at an urban environment, it is inevitable that you're gonna run shoulder to shoulder, pre-pandemic, please God, one day post-pandemic, with every single kind of person you're ever gonna meet. Yeah. And there's a fundamental choice in the deepest dark, dark, in the deepest parts of our hearts of how we deal with that. That's what I mean about personal conversion. You could celebrate it, be curious about it, discover it, always maintaining what you believe, or you could run away from it, you could demonize it, you could divide it, and you could work against it. And unfortunately, in the United States, we have a very long history of doing the latter. 
not the former. Yeah. But, but, but uh, an urban environment gives you no choice. In a suburban environment, you need to be more intentional. But it's the same diversity. In our diocese, my gosh, the diversity is astounding. But you have to choose to expose yourself to it in a different way because it don't, like your children, it won't naturally happen on the street corner necessarily. But right. the same thing can happen with the same effects. Yeah. Right? Is, there, um, is there something institutionally that the church can do uh, to help you know, provide some leadership and, and to help bring about real change? Yeah, I think, yo, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think, well, le- I said this to a dear friend of mine and he looked at me as if I had like three heads, but if you look at the different circles of leadership in the country and you say, who is gonna lead this discussion? You look at the political world, it is so divided that to have a unified conversation is something we could hope for, but I would not hold my breath on. Mm -hmm. When you look at business and industry and commerce, many of those structures have been built because they themselves have circles of influence. And it's very hard to expect that those institutions and those who have benefited from the institutions will lead systematic change. Mm-hmm. You can look at education and the university world. They have a lot to contribute, but in my humble opinion, much of it comes with a hidden political agenda on the entire spectrum, which then polarizes that as well. So where is the only realm where, when it's lived authentically, is apolitical, is universally addressed, allows people of every race and language and ethnic and economic background to be treated as sisters and brothers. Where is that leadership? It's in the religious world. Mm -hmm. And speaking from the Catholic world, the only single universal institution in the world is the Catholic Church that we need to take the lead and we're gonna start with preaching the truth. That anybody who, who wants to follow Jesus Christ cannot be a bigot, cannot be a racist, it cannot. You are not following the same master if you are. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Okay, that once you start with that premise, then go deeper into why does the Lord forbid it. Why does the Lord teach this? Then you go from a reactive to a proactive stance. So what is it about my neighbor that I'm to value and love? And why do I do that? By honoring my neighbor and the Lord. And that begins to create perhaps the recipe for how society should change. Because there's a lot of good in our society too. Mm -hmm. But this evil is overshadowing it, rightfully so. So what do we need to change in order to eliminate it and not throw the baby out with the bathwater as well? Right. Only the Lord has the answer, in my humble opinion. Yeah. So I think that's the leadership. It's to preach the truth and accompany people in this process of change. Truth and mercy. Yes. And then in the meantime, for all of us uh, who are listening to your voice, uh, you, you say we should reflect and pray. We need to listen and pay attention to what's around us. 
and then we need to educate and love as Jesus loves. Correct. And, and do the hard work of making that love real. Just stop talking about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Excellency, thank you. Let's, uh, let's take a break, and uh, we have more to talk about when we come back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Okay, welcome back. This is Let Me Be Frank featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. So Excellency, we're gonna um, shift tracks a little bit. Uh, this next topic I think is somewhat related though. So you mentioned that we need to uh, love and to reflect joy, be open um, in order to do this, I think we need to be open to the Spirit in these troubling times. And uh, in Galatians, Paul wrote that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, mm -hmm. kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So talking about joy, you mentioned last week, Excellency, that there's a difference between joy and happiness. So right. tell us, tell us the difference. Right. Okay. I think this is an absolutely crucially important topic for any believer to understand because it's also related to what we spoke about before in the first segment. All right, so it's the Declaration of Independence. Our founding fathers promised us three things, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we have basically failed all three. Hmm because they promised us life in a country where over 50 million uh, unborn children did not get the promise of life. They promised us liberty when in fact God promises us freedom, and it's not the same thing. That liberty is the ability to make whatever choice I want to make, and freedom is the ability to choose what is good for myself and my neighbor. That's another topic we could spend an entire show on. Yeah. But allow me to come to the third, the pursuit of happiness. The founding fathers may have promised us we could pursue happiness. God never did that. Because the pursuit of happiness, when it is unbridled, is deeply frustrating. It can actually be destructive. Why do I say that? First, we have to understand there's a difference between earthly happiness and eternal happiness. The beatific vision that we believe in, to be able to be and look upon the face of God for all eternity, generates a beatitude, a form of happiness that you do not have in this world. That is not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the happiness that we try to achieve in this life. Mm -hmm. So let me explain to you what happiness is for me. When my mother was alive, happiness would have been having a Sunday meal mom cooked 
spending the afternoon afterwards resting and then having Entenmann's cake and two cups of coffee at 7.30. On a picture-perfect day when we'd hang out in the backyard, that was happiness. And the problem with that, my friend, is it doesn't last. Yeah. Because the day comes to an end. The next day you had to get up and go to school. Your stomach was empty. The Entenmann's box was empty. The pasta's finished. And you have frittata or something else the next day. Okay? What's my point? Happiness is the pursuit of having every external condition satisfy our needs. So by definition in this world, happiness is fleeting, is temporary. You could have it for a bit, and then suddenly something else happens. Mm -hmm. And it literally slips out of your fingers. So what do you do? You pursue it again. And you pursue it again. And what the world is telling us, particularly our young people and children is, at the root of happiness is to have more things, to have the latest, greatest, best, and most expensive. It's going to that third vacation, that second car, that BMW convertible, which I wanted as a kid. A red BMW convertible was what my dream car. That's what I want, because I'd be happy if I had that. Right. Okay. Or the next job, or the next this, or the next that, or the next the other. And what do you have in the end? Total discontent. Uh, you have a deep-seated general anxiety that something's not right because I'm still striving for more, I'm getting more and want more. Because the pursuit of happiness, if you just define the pursuit of happiness as having all my needs met, you will never achieve the happiness you seek. Now in contrast is what St. Paul talks about. Joy is, in my estimation, a very particular form of happiness. Joy is the deep-seated contentment that comes to every human heart who recognizes, in the words of Juliana of Norwich, that all things shall be well and all matters of things shall be well. As T.S. Eliot adds, in the ground of my beseeching. Joy is the sense of contentment that recognizes God will always be there to love us, guide us, protect us, and defend us, even when we are suffering. That God's love is everlasting and eternal. It's merciful and will pick us up when we fall on flat on our face, dust us off, and get us going again. See, joy does not need words to describe itself. Joy are those tears that flow from down your face when you're in such contentment that there's no other description. Joy is not taken away by suffering and pain because suffering and pain does not take away God's love for us. And if you really honestly believe it, feel it with your bones, then the joy that comes from that will never ever be taken away. No one and nothing can take it away. And that's why the martyrs sang on their way to death, 
That is why Maximilian Kolbe sang in Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. That is why you had St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, all right, in her moments of ecstasy, even though she was persecuted and put to death. That is why you had Mother Teresa pick people out of the gutter in, in, in Calcutta, singing and being the reproach of many. Right. Oh, I could go on and on and on. Its joy is a fruit of the spirit because the spirit is where people accept, recognize, embrace, run into the very life and love of God, the love of God. Yeah. It's a totally different world. So if I got the BMW and I didn't, ah, the world didn't end. That's not the root of my joy, although I would have been happy, the truth be told, at least for a couple of years. I would have loved it when I was younger. But that's, I'm old now, so it's all gone. But, but, but joy it wouldn't have any effect on my joy if I had it or not. Yeah, so Does that make sense? It, it makes sense. Uh, it's so hard, uh, especially in today's society, especially where we live, um, to look beyond you know, the nice big house, the, the fancy car, the awesome vacation. How do we change our mentality so that we want that joy, Excellency? Okay, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I'm going to give you a concrete exercise. For all our listeners, pick the one person who has died, who you loved very dearly, and imagine God coming to you and saying, I will give you this person back for a season of time, but you will need to give up much. How would you answer the question if the Lord said, give up your house, give up your car, give up your money, give up your status or occupation, give up every material possession you had, would you say yes to see that person? And if you said yes, I would give it all up. You are on the threshold of understanding what joy is. For that reunion, is far more than happiness. That reunion would be a manifestation of how powerful God's love is for me, for that person, and for you. And that would be a glimpse of what heaven is gonna be like when we will not be with them for a season, we will be with them for all eternity. So in a sense, all those things you mentioned are all good things, but they are a distraction. And the world says, have them to be happy, and you have them, and oftentimes you are not happy. But have them and be willing to give them up for the greater good is the beginning of joy. So I don't want our listeners to understand me to say that in order to be joy, you have to be poor. No. You could be joyful and be very wealthy. But your wealth is not the cause of your joy. Right. It's what you do with it that can be the cause of your joy. If it's a means to honor God and your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, those things are not uh, bad things in themselves. But for us, we should seek first um, his kingdom, the kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these things right. will be ours. In a sense, right. In a sense, 
Joy is the fruit of a living relationship with Jesus, a loving, living relationship with Jesus. And then everything else can come back into the picture in its rightful place. Because they are all good things. Money, property, they are not evil. They are good things, but they need to be for a good purpose. They're given to us for a period. Because if I die today, right now, if I drop dead right now in this, this recording, Everything I quote-unquote own passes on to somebody else. So in the end, do I really own them or am I just borrowing them for my lifetime? Right. But if I make it an end in, my, in itself, then that becomes this, this myth of I need it, I have to cling to it, and the world tells you then get more of it because that's the way you're going to be happy. And unfortunately, you know what? When your children were growing up, I had my um, great nephew and great niece. They came to the old residence in Trumbull with my niece and her husband a couple of weeks ago. And to see this three-year-old, okay, first negotiate um, having to play with my great niece's toys, many of which are Barbie dolls and all that other stuff, okay? <laughs> and being sitting on the floor content playing with all those things totally wrapped up in it was such a profound lesson for me to see because there was a real sense of graciousness about it, living in the moment, mm -hmm. not worrying that it was a Barbie doll. It was just something fun to do, yeah. a sense of detachment and yet investment. See, that's, that is childish Joy, joy appropriate to a child, a childlike, not childish, I guess, the better word would be a childlike joy mm -hmm. that we unlearn as we grow older. Yeah. That's why a lot of people are miserable. <laughs> yeah. So as we, as we develop this, uh, this authentic joy within ourselves, um, you know, at the, at the end of each mass, right, the priest says, Ite misa est. So we are commissioned to go tell people about right. the Lord and share this joy that we have. Because um, the world is longing to, to meet him and to have this joy as well. And we need to radiate that as Christians. So how can we, how can we do that? How can we share that with others? Well, Pope Francis, you know, his encyclical on the joy of the gospel, um, it's not something to share. It's someone to share. Mm -hmm. We don't go out to share joy. We go out joyfully to share Jesus. He is the source of the joy. Right? And that joy will look different in your life, my friend, as it does in mine. Because it is my, it's the fruit of my personal, please God, growing relationship with the Lord Jesus. So, I'm a big critic of a lot of terminology in the modern church, which reduces everything to something to do. Hmm. When in fact, what we need to do would naturally follow if the relationship with the Lord existed in the larger community. 
if I were your pastor, I would not need to tell you to be friendly if you had a true living relationship with Jesus Christ. You would be friendly. Yeah. I wouldn't have to ask you to welcome your neighbor in a joy, like to smile. I wouldn't have to tell you that if you actually had the relationship with Jesus. It would, you would be so filled with this joyful sense that my Lord's with me right now. Yeah. So you could ask the question, well, how do, so you could be a person to say, all right, Bishop Frank, calm yourself. <laughs> so, all right, so get to the practical stuff, would you? Like, how do I, how do I seek joy in my life? And my response to that would be, you won't like my response. My response is, find yourself a beautiful crucifix, hang it on your wall, get a chair, sit in front of it, and don't move. Look upon the price of your life. Your life. Not the rest of humanity's, yours. Yeah. Mine. That's what Christ did for me. That is where joy is born, on Calvary. And when you and I have the courage to stand before that cross and just sit before it, sooner or later, what will be born in every human heart is what we're talking about. Yeah. Right, because when you have an encounter with him, you can't help but be transformed. Because you know what it is, Steve? Because I sitting before the, cruci cru the, the crucifix, before the cross of Jesus Christ, and he's looking at me. He knows every secret of my life. He knows every sin I've committed. He realizes how much I've failed, how mediocre I can be, and he's still hanging there. That's where joy is born. What God could do that? What God would do that? Who would do that for me? Who would, on earth would do that for me? Yeah. But he did. And therefore, what response is elation? When it finally sinks in, it's like a bonfire being lit all at once. It's elation. It is, it is delight. It is this exuberance. It is this burst of spiritual energy it is this literally being reborn that's what we're talking about yeah and yeah. you know you've had in your life you've met people who are truly joyful who are on fire with that love of jesus haven't they changed your life just by meeting them yes yep that's right that's right the, and they're clearly you know uh so today today's mentality is you know um that you need to be uh, to thine own self, be true. And when you're looking for peace and enlightenment, you look inside yourself for enlightenment. Um, but those people that you're talking about, they're looking outside themselves and they're looking for that in Jesus Christ. So if you abide in him, if you keep his commandments and abide in his love, then his joy uh, will be in us and our joy will be full, right? Without a doubt. Yeah. The interesting thing is um, there is a tremendous truth to look inside oneself. That inner room scripture speaks about where God dwells deep within us in his Holy Spirit since baptism. But 
you need, I need guides to get there. Our religion is communal for a reason. It is not an individualistic religion because even inside of yourself, you don't have the roadmap to get to that place. Right. Yeah. You're not going to learn anything you don't already know if you're just only looking <laughs> at right. inside yourself. Can I... Right. Can I ask you, Excellency, so um, it, it's not always easy, though, to have this joy. As we talked about in the first segment, you know, the world is pretty um, messed up. So, <laughs> and, and, but I know, so I, I was preparing for this and I saw in James' epistle, he wrote, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, for you know that the mm-hmm. testing of your faith produces perseverance. And it struck me because he says, um, it's all joy when you encounter various trials. And it, to me, it seems counterintuitive. Now, how can we have this deep inner yeah. joy when we're, the world is upside down? Correct. Uh, uh, remember the story in Scripture of the woman caught in adultery? Yes. And Jesus um, challenges those who are going to stone her to death. He who is without sin cast the first stone. Interesting thing is, at the end of that story, they all walk away. And who is left? The woman and Jesus. Hmm. So what's the lesson? It's in times of trial and suffering that many times the props of our life, the things we've relied on, and some people we've relied on walk away. And in those moments of tremendous trial and suffering, we can make out Jesus in the crowd a lot clearer if we look for him. Hmm. And when we find him, that is where joy sustains us. You could almost imagine that crowd, both the accusers and the bystanders, literally drifting away. And in the moment where she was nearly put to death, the only one she saw was Jesus. Yeah. So in times of trial, our vision can actually be cleared to see the Lord more clearly. It's counterintuitive. But if you expect this, and I want this, and this is going to make me happy, and I, don't, and I shouldn't be suffering, and all the rest, blah, 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 ah, then we will not see him, even if he's standing literally in, our, in front of our face. Yeah. You just reminded me, somebody pointed out that uh, in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, um, every time Jesus falls with the cross, Simon of Cyrene also falls. And it's, uh, it's there to show us that Simon wasn't carrying the cross. It was Jesus, and Jesus invited Simon in to, to share in that experience with him. Mm-hmm. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. What most people forget in contemporary world is that unless due to poverty, there would have been no farmer who would have sent one ox out without a partner to share the yoke because the Hmm. yoke had two animals side by side. And the same thing here. Who holds my yoke? Jesus. And my times of trial and suffering, who's with me? Jesus. Why is that a source of my joy? Because I look around and I see him eye to eye, face to face. 
Is he there all the time? Yes. But when things are happy, we don't look. Right. Mm -hmm. I guess, does that mean then if, if the yoke that we find ourselves with feels too heavy, that we're not relying on him enough? If it, it, well, if it feels that it's too heavy, then what we need to do is we need to give him more of the burden. Okay. Intentionally, consciously. You know that beautiful footsteps, you know, which has been popularized in so many ways that the yes. Lord carries us? Yes. Yeah, he will. He will. Doesn't mean you don't get beat up, too, because he was. So again, get online. If it's good for the master, it's good for the student. But nonetheless, he will do it. So just lean into him, because then he carries more of the weight. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and then we can be like St. Lawrence, right? Being burned to death in martyrdom. And he looks up at his executioners and says, turn me over. I'm done on this side. Imagine. Couldn't, couldn't have done that if he didn't have that joy of walking with Christ. The assurance that all things will be well. Do what you do. Do your worst. My Lord is with me. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome, Excellency. Let's take one more break and come back uh, with some questions. Great. Thank you. We need Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the Church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, I wanna um, put our uh, listener questions aside just for one week because um, our diocese, our state, our society continues to open up little by little. and. I thought maybe we could take a moment and from your perspective, you could tell us how things are going. Yeah, I think I'm very pleased from what I've heard from the pastors. Um, now that we have celebrated mass indoors for a couple of weekends, people have responded. They're extremely grateful, right? And um, some, as I mentioned, continue to be moved to tears when they're back at the celebration of the Eucharist. You know, in Corpus Christi, the first reading, we spoke about the hunger in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses spoke about, well, yes, people have been hungering for a long time. So that's all very, um, that's very encouraging. We're not at full capacity, believe it or not, in a lot of places, because people are still hesitant indoors for a lot of reasons, and that hopefully will pass. So now you give me uh, an opportunity to remind our listeners This is not the time to stop building the building. It took tremendous sacrifice on all of our parts to pause, to be able to protect life and move forward. Please do not use the summer as an excuse to throw away all the safeguards we need to live by to make sure we don't go backwards. Mm. Because it will be an offense against our Catholic faith, threatening life, and it will cause many to have to take a step back, which will be a catastrophe. So we made tremendous progress. We're going to keep making progress. And I'm going to remind everyone, it is our moral Christian obligation to ensure that we do what is necessary to protect our neighbor. 
because by doing that, we are also protecting the ability for us to come together in worship at the Eucharist. And I have no intentions of going backwards. Right. We've gone this path once, we're not gonna do it again, and I'm gonna remind everyone, make sure they believe the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy the weather and the opening up, but remain vigilant. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah. thank God, thank you for asking. I think we're making tremendous progress, for which I'm very grateful to the Lord and to everyone for their cooperation. Yeah, yeah, it's been tremendous. So uh, we, I promise we'll get back to listener questions next week. Uh, we love hearing from our listeners. And so if you have questions for Bishop Frank, send them in to questions at veritascatholic.com. Excellency, thank you as always for your guidance today and every week. Um, and, uh, and thanks to our sponsor, the Knights of Columbus Museum. The Knights of Columbus Museum has been helping Let Me Be Frank bring solid Catholic content to you each week. So please check out kofcmuseum.org for more good content for your family. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, uh, as we do every week, love to ask you for your blessing. Thank you. Thank you. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, fill us with the spirit of joy as we recognize ever more deeply your presence in our midst, your love in our hearts. Help us in these troubled times to be agents of real change, people committed to equality and respect, opportunity for all, for we are all your children. Help us to have the perseverance, the dedication, and the deep desire to be prophets of the good news and to bring our society to greater justice and peace. Bless us and all those who have listened and all those whom we love through Christ our Lord. Amen. amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, my friend. Enjoy the week. See you next Thanks, week. Thanks, Bishop Frank. See ya.